0: All right, if you will take a look at your bulletin, we have been working our way through the Gospel of Luke, and actually last week, we covered um, well into chapter 22, and we looked at the Lord's Supper. And I'm going to actually back us up a little bit today and look at the first paragraph in Luke 22, and it has to do with one of the apostles named Judas Iscariot. And it says this, verse 1, Now the feast of unleavened bread drew near, which is called the Passover. And the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to put him to death, for they feared the people. Now listen to this. Then Satan entered into Judas, called Iscariot, who was of the number of the twelve. Satan actually entered into Judas. Judas. He went away and conferred with the chief priests and the officers how he might betray him to them. And they were glad and agreed to give him money. And we learn later on, 30 pieces of silver was the price. So he consented and sought an opportunity to betray him to them in the absence of a crowd. So some of you have heard me talk about this fellow before. Um, Billy Graham is probably known as the person who's led more people to Christ than anybody, at least in recent history. And Billy Graham had a partner early on in his ministry who traveled the world with him. And he preached the gospel and thousands of people heard the gospel, and placed their faith in Jesus Christ. And his partner was named Charles Templeton. Uh, Charles Templeton died in 2001. But right before he died, he wrote a book called Farewell to God. And in this book, he denied Christianity, he denied Christ, And he denied that he believed in the existence of God. So think about that. Billy Graham's partner, who led thousands to the Lord, denied the existence of God before he died. And the question is, how can someone who is so sold out to Christ sell Christ out? And that leads us to Judas, not just a disciple, not just a minister of the gospel, but one of the 12 apostles, hand chosen by Jesus himself. And Judas is not like Peter, Peter who spends the whole night He's already sleepy in the garden, but he spends the whole night following Jesus as he's being arrested. And in a moment of weakness, or three moments of weakness, he denies that he knows Jesus. This is Judas not just denying that he knows Jesus, but betraying Jesus. He, he went to the chief priests and made a deal and sold out Jesus. He was so corrupt that in today's text it says that Satan actually entered in to Judas. so it's it's a it's a pretty intense topic today. Judas and Satan, right? Welcome visitors to Valley Brook. We're going to talk about Satan and Judas, but that's where we are in the text uh, today. We're going to see if we can learn some things from Judas Iscariot. Okay. Six things. Don't worry. We'll go quick. All right. Six things we can learn um, from Judas. First thing is this. Judas did not lose his salvation. He never had it to begin with. All right. Sometimes people point to Judas and say, Well, if if one of the apostles can lose their salvation, then anybody can lose their salvation. Well, I think the rest of scripture makes it fairly clear that Judas never had salvation. If If you have your bulletin under point one in John's gospel, again, in the early part of the gospel in chapter six, Jesus has just fed the multitude with two fish and five loaves. Or is it two loaves and five fish? I, can't, I never get that straight. Um, but he's just fed a multitude of people. But then he starts saying some some tough things to understand. He says, you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And some of them say, that's weird. And they I, we're, we're out of here. And they stop following him. And then in verse 64... It says this, Jesus said this, but there are some of you who do not believe, right? So he's going to single out those who don't believe. And then in parentheses, and even though this is in parentheses, John, the gospel writer, actually wrote this. This is part of the gospel. He writes, for Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe And who it was who would betray him. Well, we know who betrayed him, Judas. And he's lumped in with those who from the beginning, Jesus knew, did not believe. And just to to make extra clear at uh, the end of the chapter, verse 70, it says, Jesus answered them, did I not choose you the twelve? And yet one of you is... A devil he spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him, so Jesus makes it clear that he knows Judas is going to betray him, he is not a believer, and you say, well, why would he why would he choose him it's all in the sovereign plan of God, but that does not excuse Judas for his betrayal. It didn't surprise God. It didn't surprise Jesus, but it was all part of a sovereign plan. But Judas was not a believer from the beginning. All right. Second thing I want you to understand is this. The longer he, Judas, resisted. Okay, so he's an unbeliever. So he's following Jesus around. And every time Jesus invites people to believe in him, every time Jesus does a miracle, Judas has to harden his heart and say, no, no, I am not going to place my trust in Jesus. The longer he resists Jesus, the harder and harder his heart becomes. right? In fact, in John's gospel, again, um, it mentions the crowds who had seen Jesus do miracles, and it says, though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him. And then two verses later, it says, "Therefore they could not believe." There's a would not, and then a could not. There's a saying, no, 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 I have plenty of time, I'll take my time, and then there comes a point of no return. Judas hardened his heart every moment he walked with Jesus and and said no. You know, in the book of Exodus, it speaks of Pharaoh having a hard heart and it talks about his heart being hardened 40 times. Right? Sometimes it says God hardened Pharaoh's heart and other times it says Pharaoh hardened his heart. Now, now, which one is it? Was it God? Or was it Pharaoh? Well, those are not mutually contradictory concepts because the way an unbeliever's heart gets hardened is with truth. All God had to do was expose Pharaoh to more and more truth, and he did that with these ten plagues. And with every plague, Pharaoh's heart became harder, and harder and harder. It's not like God has to inject hardness into somebody's heart. Me just preaching the truth is drawing some to Jesus and others. It's hardening your heart. It's happened since the time of Pharaoh. It happened with Judas. Judas. The same sun that melts the wax hardens the clay. The same truth that draws a believer hardens the heart of an unbeliever. So, so let me just ask you right now, where's your heart? Are you being drawn to Jesus who died to pay for your sin so you can spend eternity with him, so you can have eternal life? Or are you saying, no, I got other things to devote my life to. Third thing we want to learn from Judas is this. His heart became so hard that he became an open vessel For Satan. Again, verse 3. Then Satan entered into Judas, called Iscariot, who was of the number of the twelve. There's an interesting story Jesus tells. I guess you could call it a parable. In uh, Matthew 12 43, it says this When an unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest, but finds none. So here's a, a picture of a person with a, a spirit, a demon. By the way, the Bible just assumes the reality of the spiritual world. God is real. Satan is real. Angels are real. Demons are real. Jesus is actually, uh, in, in the Gospels, tempted by Satan. All right? Um, so here is an example of a person who has a demon cast out of them. Verse 44. Then it says, I will return to my house from which I came. Now, the the word house there is referring to the person. He used to indwell this person. He's cast out. He's floating around out there in the desert. He says, I'm going to go back. That was was pretty good back there in that person. Now, look what it says. And when it comes, it finds the house empty, swept, and put in order. So this person who's had the demon cast out, they've been getting their life together. Maybe they've overcome some addictions. Maybe they're learning some healthy habits. Maybe they're going to church. But... The house is empty. And what that means is the Holy Spirit's not in there. The demon's been cast out. They've cleaned up their act, but they haven't received Christ. So what's going to happen? Verse 45. Then it goes and brings with it seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there, and the last state of that person is worse than the first. So here is a, a a person who the demon is cast out, but they they say no to God, they say no to Christ, and they end up in a worse place than they began with. Right? Think of of Judas. He he. Followed Jesus for three years. He probably learned all the Christian lingo. He learned how to behave. Nobody caught him. In fact, take a look at uh, Luke 22, 21. At the Last Supper, it says, But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. For the Son of Man goes as it has been determined, all right? This isn't out of God's plan. But woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. There you have the perfect tension between the sovereignty of God and the responsibility of, of Judas, okay? Now, this is interesting. Jesus says, one of you is going to betray me. And what did the rest of them do? and they began to question and you would think it would say Judas but they don't question Judas they begin to question one another which of them it could be who is going to do this you know what that tells us Judas was pretty good All right he was so good he he was good at behaving like a christian that even the 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 other Apostles who lived with him for three years couldn't tell, right? But he had said no long enough, long enough, long enough that he's an empty vessel and now Satan actually dwells in him. Now, um, Jesus said, Woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. That word woe, at least in this context, is not a term of sympathy. It's a term of judgment, of of eternal damnation. And that leads us to the fourth thing we can learn. The greatest eternal punishment is reserved for those who've been exposed to the most amount of light. Woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. Why? Because he's walked with Jesus for three years. And he said, no, no, no. And his condemnation is incredibly great. If you look at the, the Matthew verse, it says, woe to you, Chorazin. I've been to Chorazin. It's a deserted, um, there's a parking lot for buses to go to, and there it's a deserted town with an ancient synagogue, the ruins of an ancient synagogue, and um, Jesus cursed it. Woe to you, Corazon. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. Uh, so what's, what he's saying is these pagan cities of Tyre and Sidon, they were known for their idolatry. It's going to be better for them on judgment day than these little villages that Jesus preached in. Why? Verse 22. But I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum. So Capernaum was Peter's hometown. And it's where Jesus, actually, he moved from uh, Lazarus, from Nazareth (laughs) to Capernaum as his his ministry base. And he says, woe to you, Capernaum, and you, Capernaum, you will be exalted. Will you be exalted to heaven? You will be brought down to Hades, for if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I tell you that it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. Why? Because they were exposed to the light of of God in the flesh, actually walking amongst them, preaching to them, and doing miracles before their very eyes. And their response was not utter wickedness, but it was just apathy. Yeah, he's probably a prophet, yawn, right? If the people of Capernaum are accountable because Jesus preached amongst them and did miracles, just imagine how accountable Judas is. I mean, Judas was there when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. Judas was there when he raised the 12-year-old girl from the dead. Judas was there in Capernaum, when the paralytic was lowered down through the roof and Jesus healed him. Judas was there when Jesus opened the eyes of the man born blind. Judas was there when he fed the 5,000. Judas was there when he healed entire villages. And Judas was there to hear Jesus connect all the dots from the Old Testament proving that Jesus was the awaited Messiah and he said no no now maybe there were times when he thought hmm I could entrust myself to Jesus but no no no, I'm not going to do it this time and his heart became harder and harder and harder you go, what, uh, what was it ultimately that kept Judas from entrusting himself to Jesus? Well, number five, something as worthless as money was Judas's downfall. You know, over the years, people have, have tried to come up with different reasons why. Judas turned on Jesus. Some say um, he wanted to see the revolution begin. He thought that, that uh, Jesus was going to rebel against Rome, and uh, he, he was disappointed that Jesus didn't take up arms to fight against Rome. Um, others say that he just wanted to get things moving a little quicker, so let's get this thing started. I'm afraid it's a little easier than that. Follow the money. He was in it for the money. In fact, right before Jesus enters into Jerusalem, he stops in the little town of Bethany, which is up on the, the other side of the, uh, the Mount of Olives. And that's where Mary and Martha lived. And that's where Lazarus was, whom he raised from the dead. And if you look at John 12, Mary and Martha invite Jesus over for dinner. And it says, so they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at table. Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? That's a year's wages. And then John writes this. He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. It was all about money. He was the treasurer. Now you got to watch the church treasurer, right? <laughs> we have a great church treasurer. But he, he was in it for the money. And whatever he pilfered from the bag was nothing compared to what he could make off of this betrayal. And the sad thing is that a lot of people say, you know, I'm, I, I'm interested in Jesus. But no, I'm not, I'm not going to get crazy about it. Because they're real God. God is money and you don't have to have a lot of money for your God to be money but I pray that your desire for money isn't keeping you away from Jesus who can save your soul right now last point Christ is very merciful now, I, I think the scripture does teach that there's a point of no return where a person's heart becomes so hard that, that it can't be turned. But I don't know where, where that point is. If, if I would have picked one person to say, well, they're beyond redemption, it would have been this guy named Saul of Tarsus who was actually behind the martyrdom of the first Christian martyr, Stephen. He was a Pharisee who hated Jesus. He hated Christianity. Yet, he became the great apostle Paul. Why? Because Christ is very merciful. Remember the man in the the cemetery? With the legion of demons, if, uh, if you would think anybody would be, on, be beyond redemption, it would be that man. But Jesus cast out a legion of demons. Legion is a term for 6,000. We don't, we don't know if that's just a term. But here was a man just totally given over to Satan. And the next thing it says is he was dressed and in his right mind sitting at the feet of Jesus. He was redeemed. So my prayer all week has been this, Lord, if there have been people who've had hard hearts and they've been saying no to you, no, 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 that today the Lord would break through and you would receive him. You see, the the good news is that even the sin of rejecting Christ again and again and again can be forgiven. The gospel is this. We're all sinners. We all deserve eternal punishment, eternal separation from God. But God is a very merciful God, and he became a man. He became fully God, fully man in the person of Jesus Christ. He really walked on this earth. And he was nailed to a cross to pay the full price, as we sang, for our sin. And he say, well, what do I have to do to earn that forgiveness? That's the beauty. You can't earn it. He paid the full price. And he says, believe in me. Stop trusting in yourself. Stop trusting in your own goodness. Stop trusting in your own religion. And trust in me. See, now, that's a hard thing to do because it involves admitting That you can't do it yourself. That you're not good enough. That's that's the difficult thing for a lot of people. But for those who understand, yep, I'm a sinner. I know I'm a sinner. And I don't stand a chance before God on judgment day. The good news is he paid the full price. And all who trust in him. Open your heart and trust in Him. He will save you, and you can be assured that you're forgiven, that you're a child of God, that you have eternal life. So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to celebrate communion together, and then we're going to hear the testimony uh, from from Anna, who's Anna, <laughs> sorry Anna, um, who's going to be baptized in just a minute. But uh, I want to ask you this. Have you opened your heart and received Christ? Let's pray.